welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, August 5th, and we have a great episode for you. David Teal of the Daily Press in the 757 area is on the show. We are going to be talking uh, Hokies football, UVA football, ACC football. It's uh, a great interview, one one I think you're going to enjoy thoroughly. Uh, We've also got a few other things to talk about. Bud Foster, Tavian Feaster, coaches poll released, all kinds of things. Uh, This is going to be a fun show, but first off, Tim, what's going on? Hanging out, enjoying the weekend. Uh, that's really all I can say. It was one of those weekends where we didn't really have a lot to do. So, uh, that's a blessing. It's been fun hanging out. I, uh, you know, reveling in, uh, my mother-in-law's kind of experiences. She was at the bar last night in Richmond and, uh, got to meet Jay Gruden. So that was pretty freaking cool. I think to be able to go to a bar and end up meeting a head coach and she's a Redskins fan. So she really enjoyed that. But the key takeaway there was Rob Ryan was also there. And so, uh, First question, was this like a Redskins-sponsored event, no, or are these guys no. just drinking off a, a tough day of training camp? Just drinking off a tough day of training camp, man. Um, Interesting. I wonder if Bill Belichick takes that approach. I don't know. Man, what would, I doubt what it. would Bill Belichick that's a, even that's drink? That's a hard no. He's sober, right? He doesn't seem like an alcohol kind of guy. No, I, I bet he. I bet he's like uh, – he's, he's either one of two ways. He's like a, a cranberry vodka kind of guy. Yeah, or he's like a whiskey straight up kind of guy. Sure, there's really it's it's like one or the other. Sure, and those are probably the only two drinks that he actually drinks. Right. I mean, it's just so many ways that you could take that. You could also see him being some sort of teetotaler and, um, you know, going to the bar maybe once a year and ordering a, a sparkling water. He probably only drinks champagne once a year. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Champagne near and dear to his heart. He saves that for special occasions. Yeah, like you know. One of his many Super Bowl wins. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was, we actually, we haven't done much this weekend either, but went out to uh, to a pizza place on, on Friday night. And, you know, here in Chicago, uh, we went to Luminati's, which is known for deep dish, but we didn't order the deep dish. We, we really only saved that for special occasions, like when guests are in town and, you know, things like that. But one thing uh, with Chicago pizza places, and I don't know why this is the case, but... If I were to order a thin crust pizza from Lou Malnati's delivery, it would come cut into small squares, not like a traditional pizza slice. Interesting. But if you order it in the restaurant, it's cut normally. I don't understand why. Like, why why are we changing the way that our pizzas are cut? I don't, that's... I don't understand the the utility factor there. Yeah, yeah. I would just I just wanted to propose that question. If you know, uh, maybe maybe tweet us the answer. I don't know, but it's uh, it's the riddle for the week. I've just I'm dumbfounded. I asked the waitress and she had no idea. Um, she was of no help. But I I'm I'm a fan of just the traditional pizza cut. I don't. The problem is when you do the little squares. You know you gotta. You got to choose wisely because you run out of your crust pieces very quickly. And I'm a crust guy. So that interior of the pizza is just this little square, doughy, saucy, cheesy piece of pizza. It's a, it's a very <sighs> stressful pizza eating experience. And pizza should never be stressful. So they're going to have to work <laughs> no. that out. I think to me, pizza eating is the opposite of stressful. 
it's what you do. You know, it's what you dive into when you are stressed. Kids wearing you out. A lot of a lot of housework yeah. to do. You, you order a pizza that's, and you jump in. Have you yeah, have you had? Do you guys have Marco's nights. Pizza up there? It's like a Papa John's, Domino's type chain situation. Uh, no, we don't have Marco's. I've I've heard of Marco's. I've never actually uh, had it. Okay, we need um, to shout them out because they are okay. they are they went straight to the top of that uh, chain delivery food chain, if you will. Um, they they surpassed Domino's, Papa John's, Pizza Hut. Just fantastic stuff there. So speaking of pizza, I saw something on Twitter. Somebody was asking who had the best, you know, late night munchies in Blacksburg, and it, it brought back a lot of great memories of Gumby's and their pokey sticks. Oh yeah. But I went back to Blacksburg shortly after graduation. It might have been like 2011, 2012. I can't remember what year it was. And Gumby's had died. It was gone. Oh no. Um, it's out of business. And uh, I just wanted to kind of, you know, maybe maybe the former owner is listening to this. Maybe he can resurrect that chain sure. because those pokey sticks were something to behold. Absolutely. I will uh, burn a, a grease-stained cardboard box in, in Gumby's memory tonight. So uh, I'll just – this wasn't, a, you know, my intent, but, you know, something else coming to an end in, in Blacksburg, Tim, is, is Bud Foster's tenure as defensive coordinator. Yes. Uh, he, he dropped the news last uh, last Thursday, which lucky for you, we talked to David Teal Thursday night. So we, we're gonna we're gonna get to some of those questions in a bit. But first, just wanted to kind of hit on Bud Foster and and really what he meant to to the Hokies. So just to kind of recap some of his success: thirty third season as defensive coordinator, or thirty third season at Virginia Tech has been the defensive coordinator uh, since nineteen ninety six. He had coached under Frank Beamer basically his entire career up until he retired in 2015 or after the 2015 season. You know, didn't play at Virginia Tech, played linebacker at Murray State, started his coaching career a year after that in 1981 as a graduate assistant, and then obviously came to Blacksburg in 1987 with, with Frank Beamer coaching the linebackers. So, Tim, when, uh, when Foster took over full-time in, in 1996, it was obviously the beginning of a – what should be a Hall of Fame coaching career. Right. He finished with a top five scoring defense seven times, led the nation in 1996, which is the year they got to the national championship. And in 2006, which if everybody remembers 2006 heading into that season, uh, Marcus Vick got kicked off the football team. I always say that was probably one of our, that was probably our second best chance at a national championship had Marcus Vick not been a, uh, you know, a, a problematic um, individual, but you know, you want to win with with good guys, so that is what it is. But that that was a that was a year where that defense was just un, unbelievable. They also led the nation in total defense in two thousand five, two thousand six, and outside of the nineteen ninety nine season, the Hokies from that period of time, that two thousand five to two thousand seven window. Those defenses were some of the best in the country, and I would say arguably the best in the nation in that three-year that three-year time period. But if you just look at his his resume as a whole, finished in the top ten in total defenses eleven times. Since '96, the Hokies have had the most sacks, with 856, the most interceptions with 380. Only one of three schools that have had 800 sacks or 350-plus interceptions in that time frame. 
They also lead the country in third down conversion rate at 31.5%. And have allowed only 18 points per game since 1996. Only Alabama and Ohio State are the only other schools that have allowed less than that. 45 defensive players have been drafted in the NFL. 11 in the first round. 11 in the first or second round. And that's just kind of a tidbit of what Bud Foster has, has meant to Virginia Tech. For the longest time, it was Frank Beamer, it was Bud Foster. You know, two guys that were each iconic in their own right. And if you're a Hokie fan like us, you know, they've been at the program for our entire life, at least one or the other. Sure. And uh, after the 2019 season, that's coming to an end. And uh, that's just pretty hard to believe. Yeah, it's, it's, it was shocking. I, You know, there were rumors in the past year, uh, given some of the health issues he, he battled, that maybe it was close. I just didn't think it was age 60 close for Bud. And apparently it is. Uh, you know, it's a little early in my mind to see him going, but that's totally out of a selfish place. Um, what Bud has given and what Bud has meant to that university um, is right up there with Frank Beamer, in my opinion. Obviously not to the same level of, of magnitude, but... Um, you know, he's just as much Virginia Tech as Frank Beamer is to most Virginia Tech fans. And it's a shame that that connection is going to go. It, it's a shame that a world-class defensive coordinator is going to go. Uh, don't get me wrong. That's also something that's going to hurt in the long run. Um, but the weird feeling for me is it's kind of, I don't know if it's a statement to the current coaching staff or not, but it's just sad to think uh, Bud was our last tether to the old regime. Um, you know, you sort of felt Beamer's imprint throughout the current football program just because Bud was still on the staff in a way. Um, I assume that because Bud will probably be leaving, uh, that means that maybe Charlie Wiles will too. I'm not sure. Um, but, man, it, it's it's very, very depressing. And I'm, a, I'm more sad about Bud Foster leaving than I ever thought I would be. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've, I've heard from – some people that were like, well, you know, Bud fizzled on the way on his way out. I just I think that's a completely unfair assessment. Oh, that's that's bad. Um, and if you look at what, you know, he went through last year, not just on the field, but, you know, we talk about this with David Teal well as well. Uh, just physically, he was ill. You know, he had knee issues. His energy wasn't up to where it usually was. Right. You know, they had lost a number of guys to the NFL. They lost a couple guys to suspension, getting kicked off the team. Uh, they had eight freshmen starting on, on the team last year. Right. Oh, like, super young guys. So they went from fourth in total defense to 85th overnight. Um, so I'm glad that's not going to be the last time we see Bud Foster uh, because that would be a uh, tough end to an otherwise storybook career. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure we're going to see a, a top 10 or maybe even a top 25 defense this year out of the Hokies, uh, but I do expect to see an improved product on the field and uh, a team that's going to to rally around this. Um, I, I think the one positive is, you know, yeah, this wasn't great news. It's not necessarily negative news around the program. You know, it's just the coach is moving on and he's uh, retiring, taking the next next step. He's going to still have a role with Virginia Tech. He's going to be in, in a uh, ambassador role similar to what Frank Beamer is under Whit Babcock uh, currently. So we'll still see him around. Uh, he's just not going to be coaching or on the sidelines. So um, he's not going away. His presence will still be felt in Blacksburg. You know, maybe that will help with the recruiting standpoint, but you know, it will be important uh, for the Hokies to to find a strong 
uh, vocal leader who can come in and and try and you know make their own stamp on this defense. It's it's not going to be somebody who you know is getting a shot for the first time. It needs to be somebody that's well established because you know it's it's replacing a legend. Right. You know it may as well be Frank Beamer all over again. That person will always be measured against Bud Foster, uh, at least in the uh, first couple of the years, similar to what Fuente is going through right now. So, you know, there will be pressure on that next guy. And I think uh, Bud Foster and his role as ambassador will be part of this hiring process. If Whip Babcock has proven anything, he's proven that he knows how to conduct a coaching search. And it may not always be a splashy hire, as we saw with Mike Young. Uh, and sometimes it may be, as we saw with Buzz Williams. Uh, but sometimes, you know, uh, Foster was a guy who was who was up for the coaching job, head coaching job, when uh, Fuente got the position. He stuck on the staff. Um, so, you know, he's a guy who, who can make the tough decision when he feels is the right decision for the program, and I, I think the Hokies are going to be okay. I think so, too. You know, there's this is going to be a different replacement. You can't follow up Bud Foster with someone who doesn't have a proven track record. Um it, it, there's going to be some coaches that are probably lined up to take the job. It, you know, Virginia Tech still, as a as an all defensive coordinator, is a place you're going to want to be. I think that'll be fairly attractive. What is kind of interesting to think about is what if this season does not go to our expectations to the point where uh, maybe we see uh, a hot seat for Fuente at the end of the season as well? Is that a scenario where because Bud is leaving, the pressure on Fuente then becomes a little higher? Um, because to me, at least, it seems like if you were going to be replacing the defensive coordinator um, and your current head coach didn't do so well, maybe you look at replacing a head coach too. I'm not sure. And obviously that speculation is uh, you know, not warranted at the moment. Fuente, for all intents and purposes, should be great at the end of the year. I don't anticipate issues for him on that front. But it's an interesting dynamic to also think about. Um, as far as the replacement goes, if Fuente is here, that's going to have to be nailed, and that's going to have to be done in the right way. And uh, as you mentioned, Witt did a great job with Fuente. I imagine Witt and Fuente, Fuente will do a great job replacing Bud. Um, but it, it's going to have to be the right hire. Um, you know, things have been done Bud's way here for so very long. Um, you're probably going to want somebody in there that handles things in a similar man manner as well. And I don't think you're going to want to lose that fiery vocal leader aspect of the football program too because – um, certainly that's, uh, that's been a place where he's been able to lever his personality in a way uh, that's really been beneficial to the program. Yeah, and like you said, like Fuente's not on the hot seat. I don't expect him to be on the hot seat, but he's in this kind of uh, interesting conundrum because, one, yeah, he's not on the hot seat, but two, you know, he's expected to win at least eight games at a bare minimum Correct. this year. So if he doesn't, then that's just going to – Still, I don't think it's going to put him on the hot seat, but well, we're going to start yeah. getting antsy alumni. It may not, but what you what you are going to see is if that team does go six and six with that schedule, the fan base will be out for blood at that point. Yeah, it's just it's not. It's not. It, I just I cannot imagine that's going to happen. You, you couldn't imagine, can't imagine it, that's but going to but if he goes six and six with that schedule, I guarantee you this is going to be a much different podcast if that were to happen. Um, whether so it's fair to, or unfair, that's college football, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, not that this really means anything, but Phil Steele released uh, basically his assessment of the most experienced rosters, conference by conference. And, you know, last year Virginia Tech obviously had very little experience. And so this wasn't based on 
uh, you know, juniors or seniors. It's based on like number of snaps played. Good news, Virginia Tech is the second most experienced team in the ACC Great. by Phil Steele's assessment. Bad news is Louisville's number one. <laughs> and so <laughs> we obviously know about yeah. Louisville. Um, but, you know, Virginia Tech was not Louisville last year. No. It was just a team that dealt with a lot of uh, unfortunate circumstances. So 6-6, six and six, yes, that would be devastating for the Hokies and their program and recruiting and tone going into the offseason. But, right. you know, it's early. It's August. Let's be optimistic. Hokies are going to, you know, come out. They're going to compete. Got a big game later this month with uh, Boston College. Um, so it is what it is. But, you know, some other news around the program. Tavian Feaster, the uh, uh, running back transfer from Clemson, former four-star out of high school. Uh, he is staying in South Carolina, going to University of South Carolina. He's going to be a Gamecock, so a little bit of a blow to the Hokies' uh, backfield, or at least what what we thought could be the backfield. I'm not going to say it's bad news. No. Uh, just because any time that a guy's coming in this late, you know, it's it's going to be tough for him to kind of live up to whatever the expectation was that we had of him and trying to learn the system and learn the offense and you know, was he going to be the guy? He had a really good shot to be, probably. But was it going to happen in week one or week two? Mm, probably not. No, it, it would have been an embarrassment of riches for us anyway, which is, I think, why we were so excited about it to begin with. I think our backfield is just fine. But it's one of those scenarios where it would have been just an absolute home run threat. And, you you know, you always want as much depth as you could absolutely possibly get. Uh, but is it a death blow? Absolutely not. We're, we're still stacked on offense. And I think that... Um, you know, I, that's a weird switch to make to go from Clemson to South Carolina. But if being close to home is that important for you, uh, so be it. Best of luck to him in the SEC. Yeah, so one other thing that came out this week, Tim, was the uh, the coaches poll. So that was released on Thursday right before uh, fall practice began. And, you know, what we saw on that, nothing really too surprising. Only, well, I guess two and a half ACC teams cracked the top 25. So we've got Clemson at one. We've got Notre Dame at 9, and then we've got Syracuse down at 22. So the one thing that really stood out to me, Tim, is there was four Pac-12 teams in the uh, in the top 25, which always kind of you know makes me laugh a little bit. <laughs> so Washington was the highest ranked, Oregon at 13, Utah at 15, and then Stanford down there at 23. So I, I, I'm willing to bet a lot of money that at the end of the season, the ACC is going to have more teams in the top 25 than the Pac-12. Um, but just to kind of recap some of the other teams that did receive votes, Miami got 94, Virginia Tech got 64, and then we don't see another ACC team until we got Virginia with 30 votes, and then uh, NC State, Duke, Boston College, Florida State, also received some votes to be in this poll. So, you know, coach's poll is what it is. It's obviously uh, way too early to be uh, worried about where you're ranked or what you're doing in the polls. But, you know, just a little early season indicator of what coaches think of the teams around the country. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny to think. I wonder when those coaches are actually going to learn their lesson on the Pac-12. Um, there's two things in life you don't bet on. That's horse racing and Pac-12 football. So it'll be interesting to see where they end up. I don't think we're going to have uh, four Pac-12 teams, or is it, is it three or four? 
you mentioned. It was four, right? Uh, it's four. Yeah, I don't it's think four. we're going to have yeah. four in the top 25 at the end of the season. But of that group of four unranked teams that you mentioned with ACC, I think we're going to end up with either Virginia, NC State, Florida State, uh, and maybe even Duke with a very outside shot. Uh, ended up in the top 25 this year. So as usual, the ACC, uh, not given the credit it deserves, but at this point, I mean, that's uh, that's par for the course. So I'm going to say we, as in the ACC, here here's what I think we're going to end up in the season. Just a little stab in the dark. Clemson. Right. Virginia Tech. Yep. Miami. Virginia. And Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, those are all... All find themselves in the top 25. All good shouts. Yeah, Wake Forest keeps popping up in my head as a team that just... They're going to be on that periphery. And maybe I'm overhyping what they did with Newman at the end of the year, but they, to me, feel like a team that's going to make a, a leap to another another tier, if you will, uh, this year in the ACC. I'm excited to see them play football. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, jump over to our interview with David Teal. So, again, David Teal is a journalist for the Daily Press, and we kind of jump into his background a little bit, talk about the Hokies. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, David Teal is a James Madison University grad, so we talk a little bit about the JMU-Virginia Tech game. Um, and for all of those uh, Twitter followers and people that think he's a fan of Virginia Tech or UVA, we talk about that too, so that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty fun. And, uh, yeah, so just a great interview with David. Uh, if this is your first time with us, we are uh, Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can find us basically uh, anywhere you listen to, listen to a podcast, but Apple Podcasts or Spotify are probably the two, the two favorites among our listeners. Uh, so go ahead, uh, click subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. But first off, here's David Teal. All right, we welcome on David Teal, the award-winning columnist for the Daily Press and a number a member of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So, you know, you've been uh, you've been reporting uh, for the Daily Press since 1984. You've covered the ACC uh, for that entire time, I believe. 25 Final Fours, a Super Bowl, Summer Olympics. Could you just kind of talk about your experience as a reporter and, you know, how you landed in the profession? Well, I landed in the profession because of my father. Uh, he used to put the sports section underneath my pillow every morning before he went to work. And then when I was nine years old and he got a little weary of me always watching sports on television, he handed me a piece of notebook paper and a pencil and said, why don't you write about what you're watching? And so I did. And I've wow. been pretty much doing it ever since. It's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, I mean, just covering all those events, like what really stands out to you most in your, in your career? Oh, gosh, guys, you know, I've been doing it so long. I got out of James Madison in 81, and I've been in the newspaper racket since, and at the Daily Press, as you mentioned, since 1984. And, uh, you know, I think the final four counts now up to 27, uh, with, with UVA having won the national championship this past year. That was obviously an indelible uh, moment considering what it meant to this state uh, and uh, the institution itself and what I'm very familiar with. And, uh, 
gosh, you know, Michael Vick in the national championship game in January 2000 in New Orleans, the 96 Summer Olympics, and Michael Johnson making return when he set the world record in the 400, and Ali lighting the torch for the opening ceremonies, Christian Leitner in the 92 East Regional Final and the shot that beat Kentucky and being courtside in Philadelphia that night. Um, Beyond lucky to have had a bird's eye view of some remarkable, remarkable moments. Yeah, yeah, you're just bragging now because those are all some pretty, uh, pretty iconic events. <laughs> I, I, so. I, I didn't mean to. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I'm no, definitely jealous. Not. Yeah, I mean that's, uh, you know, that's why you get into sports, right? Is to for a chance to cover those types of events. But um, you know, let's let's go ahead and let's talk about the Hokies a little bit first. So. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday night, and so today um, some big news broke around the Virginia Tech program. We had uh, Bud Foster announcing his retirement after the 2019 season. So mm-hmm. uh, not really news anyone wanted to hear that is a Virginia Tech fan. I'm sure uh, others across the ACC were kind of maybe relieved that he's retiring. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, were you were you surprised to hear to hear that today? I was just simply because of everything that you saw and heard from Bud during the off season and from coach Fuente was that, you know, Bud is re-energized. He got his knee replaced. He feels better. He really wants this team and the defense to atone for last season, which clearly were not up to his or the program's standards. And it was kind of an about face today. But this is clearly the decision that he made. And I talked to Frank Beamer this afternoon about it. And he had been talking to Bud uh, for about two months, I guess, as he kind of worked his way through this. And obviously Frank went through it in, in 2016 himself. And as Frank told me, when you know it in your heart, it's best to get it out there, don't have a lot of questions, and then just move on and coach the rest of the season, as was the case in 2016 when Frank announced in early November. And in Bud's case, it will be the entire 2019 season. Yeah, it's it's a little bit interesting, too, because he – he pretty much had to make a decision today. I mean, not necessarily today, today, but before the season, because there was so much talk around his contract and I'm sure right. that's something where he Fired didn't want it to. Year. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think he wanted it to linger over the program, but now it's, it's almost like it's a, uh, it seems like it's a rallying cry for this, for this defense. So, you know, maybe they can use it as fuel to, to step up and bring that Virginia tech defense back to form. Oh, I, I don't think there's any question that it's going to be a rally. I think you're spot on. And this is a coach who is beloved not only by Hokie Nation and the Blacksburg community at large, but by his players. And Dax Hollifield today 
you know, he said it's all about Bud for him. Now, now granted, they have a very special relationship, but, I mean, to, to a man, everyone spoke about wanting to make this a memorable season uh, for Bud because of everything he has done for the program. When you talk about a guy, this will be this will be his 33rd season. And, you know, he didn't go to Virginia Tech like Frank Beamer did, but he is every bit the, the icon and the fabric of the community uh, that Frank is. Yeah, and I mean, just, uh, it, you know, I, I just thinking back on it today, you know, I was somewhat depressed when I saw the news. Um, <laughs> but just kind of thinking back, like there was there was a time where I thought, you know, Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, just never going to leave. And finally, that day is going to come um, probably, you know, late 2019, early 2020, whenever the last game is, maybe in the national championship, who knows. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy just because you think about just some of the branding around the Virginia Tech program. Obviously, the lunch pail is, is one of the more iconic – um, I don't know if it's a brand. Maybe it maybe it has become a brand in and of sure. itself, but it's you know, it was the uh it's been a part of the program for over twenty years. And you've got DBU that's used uh just with all the defensive back success that we've had. So it's uh it's it's gonna be tough for, for that next guy to come in, but any early thoughts on who where they might look? Oh, no idea, and, and to be honest, guys, I don't think Justin Fuente has any idea. I mean, this is all still pretty fresh. Yeah. And, and, and as Fuente said today, and by the way, I apologize if I misspoke earlier. Coach Beamer retired in 2015. I may have said 16. But, you know, Fuente said today, I'm just trying to get through this in the team meeting in, in the media day. And I, and I believe him. I don't think he's given much thought, if at all, to potential successors. Now, at one point, you know, Galen Scott, who Fuente brought with him from Memphis, was co-coordinator with Bud, and many folks thought that he could be an heir apparent. <clears throat> but obviously Galen Scott had to move on because of personal issues. Right. And I, I certainly don't think he'll be coming. No, not to not to Blacksburg, anyways. But right, you um, so you wrote a story last last week about how the Hokies were set to rebound in 2018, and you know this is a team who had a lot of distractions last offseason. You know some distractions in the locker room in the early part of the year, a lot of injuries. Uh, before today's news, you know it felt like based off comments from guys like Dalton Keene and Hazika Grimsley, Reggie Floyd, you know it seems like there's a lot of excitement around the team and a lot of the comments are around like we have the right guys to to be part of this program do you think that is a storyline heading into this season and and was it something that was maybe kind of misunderstood last year or was there more there than than maybe we know about well I, well there's always more there than we know about simply because we're not in that locker room and it is a familiar refrain for a team or a program coming off a disappointing season. 
hey, you know, we, we've got better chemistry. There's a, there's a better vibe. We've got the right guys now. So you never know whether that is indeed the case because it's all about results. <laughs> That's the, the, sometimes the, the beauty and the curse of sports is there's a scoreboard and you cannot dispute it. And that will be the measure of this Hokies team and whether they are indeed better than they were a year ago. Certainly the schedule sets up for them to be better. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the benchmark, guys, and feel free to disagree, is eight regular season wins. I mean, you Absolutely know agree. they're – I mean, the, the two FCS games, come on. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Old, Old Dominion, yeah, I know what happened in Norfolk last season. I was there. But this game's in Blacksburg, and there's no way on God's green earth that the Hokies are going to get caught napping no. for, for that game. So there's three right away. And of Virginia Tech's eight ACC opponents, guys, two of them had winning conference records last year. Two. Jeez. So, so, so this is this is not murderer's row that they're facing. Now, you know, there's a whole bunch of coin flip games, but if you can't beat Georgia Tech on the road this year of all years, and if you if you can't beat Pitt at, at home, I I think Pitt's clearly going to be going to take a step back. Right. Uh, and, Pitt, I even eight, like North Carolina eight. too. Like North Carolina seems yeah, like a absolutely. game that they have to win this year. Like there's no there's no excuse for them not. You know, there's a couple I mean, even Duke, like just going through sure. it. Like maybe last year those were coin flip games. It doesn't feel like that this year. Maybe the biggest coin flip game that isn't, you know, Virginia, Miami or Notre Dame is Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest might catch a few people off guard this year. But as you're saying, like eight wins is I almost expect expect there to be eight wins and let's see what we can do against yeah. Virginia, Notre Dame and in Miami. And um, maybe if we can take one or two of those games, then then we're talking about a pretty good year for Virginia tech. Otherwise, I mean, what do you think? Because Fuente is, is a guy they're obviously coming off their worst season since 92, but you know, he's had a little bit of success in Blacksburg. They had the ACC championship game appearance in 2016 that almost knocked Clemson off the year that they won the national championship for the first time. But, you know, he's replacing a legend, um, which is obviously difficult to do. Do you think he's been assessed fairly from fans just based off of your interactions, either on Twitter or in passing? Well, Twitter is not a scientific sample. I think we can all agree. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Definitely (laughs) agree. (laughs) Now, it's, is the Twitter assessment of him fair? I would say no. Yeah. I mean, the Hokies won 19 in his first two seasons. And he inherited a, a program that, yes, he was replacing a legend. But we all understand that the program had declined somewhat 
in the latter Beamer years, and Frank Beamer will tell you that. He doesn't run or hide from that. And Fuente did quite well his, his first two years. And, oh, by the way, let's give Bud Foster another sh- shout-out because he helped that that transition. He did. Because yeah, no he, question. He, he, wanted, he wanted the head coaching job, guys, and he didn't get it. And he set aside his ego, and he agreed to stay on as defensive coordinator. And as Justin Fuente said today, when I asked him about that, he said the man put his heart and soul into embracing the new ways of of an incoming head coach and being all about the team. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for that. And – no question, as we referenced earlier, last year was just at times indescribably bad, especially you know, the game at Pittsburgh is the one that sticks out when the Hokies gave up 13.9 yards per play. Which is yeah, just, mm. just every time they touched the ball, it was like 20 yards almost. It yeah, was... just unthinkable. And I think... I recall watching Bud on the sideline in that game, and I'd never seen him more lifeless, lacking energy. And as it turns out, he was sick. And that was his last game on the sideline. He then went upstairs to the press box at the suggestion of his doctors, and he had the cranky knee that he got replaced in the offseason. Fast forward to today, that dude looks good. He looks refreshed, and there's a video out there of him wakeboarding out there on Claytor Lake. So clearly, you know, Bud feels better. He absolutely looks better, but he just decided uh, this was time. I know I got off on a tangent there. I apologize. Yeah, I mean, no worry. You bring up a great point because I think when – I think some people were expecting Foster was going to get the job when Beamer retired. Um, And there was obviously talk about Fuente. It's not like he came out of nowhere. But, you know, for him to come back after that situation where he he probably did feel like it was a little bit of a smack in the face. And, you know, besides that, he came back and, you know, he's been a a big reason that they got to the AC Championship that season. Other than that, like, why is it do you think that Foster never did get a shot and he did get a couple of chances. You know, I think there were some smaller programs that went after him, but typically Mm -hmm. guys with the track record of a Bud Foster at a power five school, and maybe that's a new term, but back in the day, you're still in the big East or in the ACC. Why, why just, why didn't he get a shot? Even, even at a school like a Boston college or something like that. Well, athletic directors really, tend to skew toward offense. Defensive coordinators don't get a a lot of jobs. Now, there are obvious exceptions. There's a guy in Tuscaloosa who was a pretty fair defensive coordinator. He's pretty solid. It's working for them. Yeah. (laughs) And so far, it's working out pretty well for Kirby Smart and Georgia. But for the most part, people want offense. So I think that's part of it. 
And another part of it is, is Bud was extremely picky. Yeah. And he, he got comfortable in Blacksburg. He was working for a man, and I'm not overstating the case, whom he loves. I mean, Frank Beamer is, is a friend and mentor and so much more to, to, to Bud Foster. And for a lion's share of those years, he was working for him, and he loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh... – it's it's unbelievable. I just keep thinking about it. I'm like just there's no way he's leaving, but you know, let's uh let's see what happens this year, but you know, one thing I wanted to hit on was just to get your perspective on the uh Old Dominion win last year over Virginia Tech. So Old Dominion is pretty brand spanking new to this whole college football thing. Uh not just the FBS, but when did they start the program back in 2009, I think? 2008. Yeah, this is this is uh, year ten. Year ten, okay. So, obviously for Virginia Tech, uh, it was I'll I'll put it up there with one of the more embarrassing losses in the program's history, just because not not that they just lost to Old Dominion, but they got dominated um, in that game. It felt like uh, so. Just what what did that what did that game mean for old ODU? And do you think it hurts Virginia Tech maybe in somewhere like the recruiting trail? Well, I don't know if it hurt on the recruiting trail, but it it hurt Virginia Tech in myriad ways because that started what became a very steep and pretty quick decline. Even I, I know they bounced back the following week at, at Duke, but but still, that was the, the first sign that this defense or that defense was going to be so poor. Plus, you and, lose Josh Jackson on top of it. Yeah, right, kidding. yeah. You, you lose your starting quarterback for the year. And, oh, by the way, you then boot your best pass rusher for the rest of the year because Trayvon Hill acted like a knucklehead during and after that game. Yep. So, so multiple issues there. Full Dominion, hey, it was great and a moment to celebrate but they didn't take advantage of it. No. They they had a terrible season. They did, which and, which is just, looking back on it, it just makes it even more unfathomable yeah. that the Hokies lost the way they did. Yes. So, sure does. I mean, it seems like, you know, I, I'm not sure rivalry is the best term, but, you know, the Hampton area... The Hampton Roads, Virginia Peach. That that's an area that the Hokies have dominated just through the years from a recruiting perspective. So I'd have to imagine that a lot of ODU football fans were probably Hokie fans, you know, when they're not playing Old Dominion. Maybe even when they are playing Old Dominion, I don't know. But <laughs> you know, before this program came into existence, you know, it, it wasn't an afterthought. And I don't think the Hokies are really competing with Old Dominion right now on the trail anyways. But what do you think that game's going to yeah. mean this year as the home opener in Blacksburg? Because on top of it, you got guys like Eric Kuma, who was very loud on his way out. And then a, a, a tight end and Chris Cunningham, who who transferred to o, ODU this offseason. Well, not only that, let's not forget Brian Steinspring. Oh, I didn't realize he went there. about Oh yeah, absolutely. That that is a nice little twist. <laughs> oh, you talk about it. 
You talk about somebody who uh, considers Frank Beamer a mentor. I mean, Brian Steinspring is, is another former Hokies offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. So, absolutely, that, that, that adds another wrinkle to, to the plot. So many connections there. But, you know, I, I tend to shy away from the term revenge game. But yeah. this one, in, in my mind, qualifies in every regard. Any, any young man who wore a Hokies uniform last season in Norfolk has just got to be itching for this one. There's no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So maybe just put on your fan hat for a second because this isn't the first time Virginia Tech has lost to a school in the state of Virginia that they probably shouldn't be losing to. So you're a James Madison alum. What did beating the Hokies in 2010 mean for that program? And like Old Dominion, they didn't have a very good season. That was kind of like their big win. But I wanted to get your thoughts on Mickey Matthews because he said at the time, after the game, so he's a little emotional, biggest win in school history. So James Madison yeah. is a school that's won like multiple national championships. What, what's your take on that? Well, I thought when he said, I was not at the game. I was, I was on the beach in Los Angeles hanging out before Virginia's game at Southern California that night. And my phone, I mean, this is before smartphones or certainly <laughs> before I had one. So I, I'm running around with a flip phone. Right. And and it just starts lighting up. P- people are texting me. They're going crazy. Are you watching? I'm going, what in the heck are you talking about? And they're like, JMU's beating Virginia Tech. I'm like, get out of here. And I, I, I truly <laughs> did not believe it. And sure enough, it happened. And I read Mickey Matthews' quote after the game. And I thought it was preposterous. I mean, he yeah. had coached them to a national championship. I'm like, dude, do you have amnesia? Right. Have, have, you, for, have, have you forgotten that? Um, but that was so that was my I, that I was never, my kind of reaction because I was like, well, I mean, it's yes, it's the FCS or D2 at the time, whatever we were calling it, but it's still a national championship. How yeah, how is beating Virginia no, Tech in like week two the biggest win in school history? No, to, to my way of thinking. Not even in the, not even remotely close. You won a national championship. You, you hung a banner. You won rings. <laughs> you were on ESPN now. National championship trumps beat Virginia Tech any day in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree. I just wanted to get your opinion on that since you're closer and a fan of the program, but uh. So just last question on the Hokies where we jump to the ACC, but just your thoughts on Fuente from a recruiting standpoint so far, because I say he's got about three and a half recruiting classes under his belt because he came in late to the uh, 2016 situation. And for the most part, the 2016 class was his lowest rated class. I think it was in the low 40s, but otherwise he's been, you know, typically in the top five of the ACC, which is pretty much where Beamer had been historically. Um, you know, 20 to 20 to 30 rankings. The 2020 class doesn't look as, I don't know, flashy 
right now. They don't have a lot of high-profile recruits coming in. Is that cause for concern with Fuente? Or what's your kind of read on the recruiting situation right now? Well, the 2020 class, guys, just out of necessity, is going to be quite small. Right. Because the the senior class is so small. So I, I don't think they have much chance to land a really flashy class. Now, now, granted, they've taken some commitments where you look at the guys and you see their other offers and you go, hmm. That's, that's my but, concern. Right. Yeah, that's but, definitely and, the concerning and, part for me. And, and, and I get that. And, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to pull the player's name, but you know, a, a recent commitment, I believe it was from a defensive back who only had an offer from Delaware State. Correct. Okay, but wasn't that also the case with um, Silas Danzi? And he's turning out pretty good. Yeah. So maybe Fuente and his staff are just trusting themselves, which if you're in their position, you certainly have to. if, If you recruit to rankings and stars, you get yourself in trouble, and if you For ever sure. doubt that, just just look at the Mike London tenure at UVA. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what they did, and it it got the it got the roster out of whack in terms of position balance, and it it just did not work. Right. So, you know, until he proves otherwise then I think fans would be wise to trust Fuente's judgment on the sure. And yeah, you I just agree. hope there's some that's, kind that, of that, equilibrium. That's, that's my take, guys. Yeah. yeah. You hope there's some equilibrium or happy medium that's found, um, you know, where maybe we're getting some a, a little bit better offers out and, and guys that are maybe, you know, you don't have to shoot for the four and the five stars, but, you know, we're getting a lower-end kind of three-star player, which, sure, uh, Fuente's eye for talent could certainly pick that up, but a, a little concerning is the fact that defensively speaking, it should be uh, a boon to be able to say, "Hey, you get to go learn under Bud Foster for four years," and and now that's that's going to be heading out the door. So I, I, you know, recruiting has become paramount for this team, I think, moving forward. So um, this year, like you said, small class. This is maybe something that is just a, a blip on the radar, not a big deal, but but hopefully it's not a, a foreshadowing of bigger things to come down the road. Well, it, 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 it's always paramount, and they've clearly whiffed on some high-profile running backs. Although I, yeah. I know they're high on King and Gary coming in, especially King, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. He's, he's got that, that sprinter speed, and I'm uh, oh, yeah. eager to, or, or certainly intrigued to, to, to see what, what he brings. Right. But when I spent some time one-on-one with Fuente the final week of spring practice, I asked him about recruiting and rankings and mentioned that, you know, some people have crunched the numbers that show quite clearly if, if you think you're going to make the college football playoff, you need to be landing a, a certain number, a baseline number of four and five stars. And he said, I get it. And to a certain 
degree, he said he agreed with that. Right. But in the but in the same breath, he said, "I have to make you know the final call on on who we project as as the best players for our program." So it, it it's a balance. I think. Yeah, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. There's like a uh, somebody at SB Nation high up in the recruiting does this uh, basically. Um, take of everybody's recruiting class. And I think it's 50% of your class needs to have a four or five star rating is kind of what the benchmark is. Not to say that teams underneath can't win the national title, but I don't think we're ever going to get there at Virginia tech. I mean, and even under Beamer, like, yeah, we got some great recruits through the years, but you know, talking about the guys with no offers, you know, Cam Chancellor had an offer to Hampton and Virginia tech. I think that worked out pretty good. Yeah. So, sure did. you know, and, what we saw last year was Fuente had a lot of issues with guys that he didn't necessarily recruit and it just didn't fit the culture for whatever reason. So I still think there's that aspect to that. So there, there might be reasons that, you know, we see it in the Twitter sphere as, as I like to say, and you know, they pass on that four or five star, they don't get that four or five star. Maybe there's a reason behind that. Maybe they just don't like the cultural fit. Maybe they didn't go after him as hard as everybody thought they would. So you know, it's just something that you got to take with recruiting. It's an inexact science, but I do think definitely having the right guys that fit that culture and the mold of what you're trying to do is the most important thing. So, um, no doubt. So let's jump over to the ACC. So, sure. You know, it feels like the ACC is trending up, but I'd still say from a national scale, probably viewed as probably the fourth out of five Power Five conferences, but. You know, Clemson is now a national brand, perennial national title contender. Expect them to be there this year. Florida State's been down, but still has a ton of talent. So that could turn at any moment. All the North Carolina schools have pretty good coaches in place and programs that are at least competitive at the moment. And then you got Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech on the coastal that, you know, you expect to be competing for that coastal division for the foreseeable future. And then you got schools like Syracuse, who had 10 wins last season. But no success before that. Let's see what they can do without Eric Dungey this year. So it feels like the ACC, from a competitive standpoint, is pretty good this year. But what do you think in the next year or two? Do you think it's a conference that you know we might see catapult to that top three of the Power Five? I certainly think it's conceivable. I, I, I think you can make the argument that over the last five or six years the league is already there yeah now last se- last season hey clemson and syracuse were the only acc teams among the final top 25 that's not great but you just go back to 2016 and clemson's first national championship under Dabo sweeney not the program's first but his first and you're you're talking about a host of rankings. I believe it was six or seven. The the conference was nine and three in postseason games, including Clemson's two wins. You had the Heisman Trophy winner in Lamar Jackson. It was by far the best year in ACC football history, and, and the league that year took it actually to no one. Correct. So I I agree. I agree. With you. And, and oh, by the way. 
this has all been perfectly timed, not that you could have controlled it or scripted it this way, with the launching of the ACC network this month. For sure. Because it, 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 it's, it's driven interest. It's, it's improved the conference's reputation because football is the financial engine of college athletics. Period, paragraph, end of story. And right. if you're not thriving there, you have a big problem. Ask the Pac-12. Yeah, the Pac-12 is just a complete dumpster fire at the moment. But, um, you know, I, I think if you look at conferences like the SEC, you know, they're very top-heavy, but they've got a very good competitive, like, core. Big 10 is a similar way. Big 12 can be up and down. I think the ACC, if you just look at it from a whole, you know, Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech are all trending up. They're going to be super competitive with each other. I expect Florida State to start giving Clemson some problems in a year or two. You know, I think those five schools right there and throw in an NC State with Dave Dorn, who's building a nice program down there. Um, who knows what's going to happen with Mac Brown in North Carolina. Maybe Dino can write the ship in Syracuse. Like the ACC is going to be maybe the premier conference in about two years over the SEC. It might shock some people to hear that, but. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far, but. It, it, I would just try to be bold, depends. you know. <laughs> no, I, I, I like I, it, Justin. I understand that. Be, what, what, what did Ryan Willis say after the UBA game last year? Scared money don't make money. <laughs> there you so, go. yeah, absolutely. Be aggressive, be bold. You know, it all depends on coaching and having the right guys. And, you know, is, is Babers the real deal? If, if Babers is the real deal, can Syracuse keep him? Or does somebody else scoop him up? You know, what yeah. happens when Saban? What's what happens when when, when Saban retires? I don't think it's a slam dunk by any stretch that Dabo goes home to Alabama. I think as long as he's got it going at Clemson, he's staying put. Oh yeah. sure, I can't imagine a world where Dabo would go anywhere else other than the no. NFL at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's got it made in Clemson. Yeah, I, it it certainly appears that way. So. You know, speaking of Clemson, you obviously picked him to win the Atlantic. So, you know, way to go out on a limb there. But do you uh, <laughs> do you foresee them having trouble with any ACC opponent this year? Because if we're talking about schedule, Clemson has a very soft schedule this year. Um, so, you know, if they do lose, what do you think their chances are at making that college football playoff? Well, it all depends on what happens elsewhere. Correct. Because you just can never. You can't guess. No. No. And it it would also, you know, you say they have a soft schedule. Could be. Could be. That Wofford game could catch them off guard. Sure. Yeah, that's the one I have circled too. But if A and M is great. Yeah. And that, and they've beaten A and M. Maybe they lose at Syracuse in week three, and that's their only loss. But, but Syracuse ends up having a great year. Mm-hmm. And let's let's say somebody from the coastal emerges that's really good. Clemson beats them in the in the ACC championship game. You know who knows how how it would fall. Sure, you got Florida State too. I I still 
Florida State's got to be good again one of these years. Yeah, I don't think it's this year. No. I, 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 I just don't. And Is it a uh, Willie Taggart issue? I think it's I think it's more of a Jimbo Fisher issue and what he left behind. Yeah. Or or what he didn't leave behind. And Willie Taggart's trying to clean it up. Right. Now whether he has or not is is the big question. So Virginia was your pick in the coastal. And uh It was and you know, it is. It wasn't it yeah, exactly. So you cited that you went with them or you went with the team with the best quarterback. So Bryce Perkins, obviously he's a stud, uh, but outside of Perkins, what is it about this Virginia offense that has you excited? I don't know outside of him, that there's a lot to be excited about on the offensive side. Although I think Joe Reed and Hasis Dubois and, Maybe Tavares Kelly can give him some pretty good weapons on the perimeter. I know they got to replace Alameda Zacchaeus, who set career receiving records there. They have no proven running back by any stretch. And already questionable offensive line, in my mind, became more person with the graduate transfer from Penn State getting hurt and being done for the year. To me, that creates a, another question mark. Sure. But yes, I pick, I pick Virginia based on Bryce Perkins, but not solely based on Bryce Perkins because Virginia returned nine, yeah, nine starters guys from a D that ranked 21st in the country. Right. Yeah. In points That's allowed huge. per game. Yeah. And if, and if Virginia tech fans, want some encouragement about what kind of improvement can happen over the course of a year. UVA went from the seventies in scoring defense nationally to number 21 last year. Yeah. So it it can be done just like the Hokies went from number four down into the mid eighties. So it, it can yeah, fluctuate that, that that much in a season, but I think Virginia could be really salty. No, I think Virginia's defense is uh, maybe understated a little bit. I mean, would you say that they're the best in the coastal defensively? I think they're right up there with Miami. I think Miami was one or two spots ahead of them nationally in scoring defense last year. But Virginia right. has more returning starters. And defense is Bronco Mendenhall's wheelhouse. Sure. I think uh, I think it's going to be interesting with Virginia because my concern with them is their offense. And it's not a Bryce Perkins concern. It's Bryce Perkins is the offense concern. So if something happens to him or he gets yeah, sure. maybe banged up a little bit, I'm still a little bit concerned about how many points they're going to be able to score. Not that I think their defense is going to give up a lot of points, but you know, there are some high powered offenses that they're going to play this year. Virginia tech's one of them, you know, you're close to both programs, whether Hokie fans want to admit it or not. And trust me, they don't, (laughs) they don't, 
the UVA athletic program as a whole right now is just riding a lot of momentum. But, yes. you know, Mendenhall, he, he isn't under any type of pressure, obviously. But with the JMU win over Virginia Tech in 2010, the ODU win over Tech last year, and after last season's loss, which extended the streak to about 15, or 215, not about, how important is this year's matchup for UVA, which could have Coastal Division title implications in the last weekend of the season. And, you know, that's that's also something UVA hasn't won. So both of those things could be on the line come the day after Thanksgiving or two days after Thanksgiving, whatever the game is this year. Black Friday, yeah, day, day after. No, it could yep. be – I, mean, I think we all wondered last season, if not now, when. But yet somehow UVA found a way to screw that up, and and I put I put it, and you talk about question marks on offense. I mentioned earlier the defense is Bronco Mendenhall's wheelhouse. I'm not terribly sold on Robert and I as an offensive coordinator, and I thought he and Mendenhall screwed up that fourth quarter last year, and they tried to sit on the lead when Perkins was passing the Hokies silly earlier in the half. I mean, that's, that's what was really the most difficult thing to understand is how conservative they got in the last five minutes right. of that game. It was unreal. Hey, they gave it away. Gave it away. Yeah, and, and it took a Ryan Willis to Dalton Keene miracle to take it away there at the end of regulation just to set up the, you know, the bizarro world tying touchdown. <laughs> But hey, you know it, it it happened. So no, they, Virginia and Virginia when they clash on Black Friday, and there may be all kinds of stakes. I, I think it's going to be like 2007 and 11, where it's winner take all for the coastal. Yeah, I agree, and I and I, I hope it is because like oh, oh I do well dude. So, so do I. That means more eyeballs on stories and click great. on Great. It's good for I mean, you. Yeah, yeah, journalists don't. What people don't understand is we don't root for teams. We root for stories. Right. Give us a great, juicy storyline. It doesn't matter if you suck or if you're great. <laughs> but if but if there's a great story, there can be and there can be great storylines in either case. But that's, you know, that's what we live for. And that's, I think that's what fans live for. They, I mean, they want something they can really sink their teeth. It's like Virginia basketball's national championship. I'm sorry. I don't recall in, that. In the last, <laughs> yeah, of course you don't. You, you, you've removed it from, you, from your mind. But yeah. that's one of the greatest redemption stories ever. Well, and... The, the games they were in in that tournament, too, where it was just like, how are they winning these games? Like the Purdue yeah. game, for example. And even the, the, sure. um, the, the Auburn, Auburn game. game are you yeah. Kidding? It was just like, how did that just happen? <laughs> no, I, absolutely. But if it comes down to Virginia and Virginia Tech for the Coastal, or even if Virginia is playing for the Coastal, the pressure on them, to end that streak is just going to be suffocating. And how they respond to that will be fascinating. 
So I'd say Virginia's biggest goal is the ACC Coastal. But, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you think maybe you think it's to beat Virginia Tech. I'm sure it's a close 1A, 1B, whatever it is. Both of them are goals. If, if you polled their fans, yeah. they just no, one of the two this year. It just win one game. And slide. No, if, 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 if you could get one of the two, yeah. you'd get either the Coastal or you could beat Tech. It, the, the choice would not be close. So we see, we see this smashing the rock thing, which I figured they would have retired that after last season. And Oscar Bradburn, the punter for Virginia Tech, had a great, great uh, little tweet out there telling uh, Bryce not to fumble the hammer on his way to smashing the rock. But, <laughs> you know, do you think the Hokies have the same fire Virginia does as far as the rivalry is concerned? Because unless it's just not publicized like smashing the rock is, I don't see the Hokies doing anything like that publicly. Not that that means that they're not motivated to be Virginia. They are incredibly motivated to be Virginia because nobody wants to be the team. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, especially in Foster's last season. Oh, oh my. You got that storyline. That's Look, huge. That's, that's already a storyline for you. No matter, no matter how the season turns out, you've got that. Yeah, and you talk about storylines. Let's remember that Frank Beamer's final regular season game was at UVA. And they had to win that to extend his yeah. career. You talk about suffocating pressure. Yeah. The, the Hokies could have seen that streak end, their bowl streak end, and Frank Beamer's career end. Yeah. With we, a loss to Charlottesville. We had on Michael Brewer um, a few weeks ago, and we talked about that game. And, you know, it was it was a season for him, too, where he's a senior, right? And a season yep. that he had played through a number of injuries. And that, w- that was just a huge game for him. And then, you know, for Beamer, carrying Beamer off the field. So, like you said, you just don't want to be the team. He brought that up specifically that has the, has the streak come to an end. Well, and... The following year, the game's in Blacksburg. And Coach Beamer was kind enough to invite me over to his house the day before the Tech UVA game because I wanted to do a story on him, you know, essentially one year after retirement. How's he getting along? What's it like? And so we're sitting upstairs in his office, and he looks at his watch, and he says, come on, I got to go somewhere. You can ride with me. I said, okay, where are we going? He goes, I'll tell you on the way. So we hop in his rig and we're, we're driving. He says, we're going over to campus. I said, okay. Justin Fuente had invited him to come speak to the team on the eve of the UVA game. And they allowed me to, to watch it all. And when Frank Beamer walked in that room, the place just, they lost their minds. And he then started talking to them about what the rivalry means and how even though Virginia was having such a down year in Mendenhall's first season, that 
they, the Hokies, needed to bring their A game the following day. And as you and all Tech fans will remember, they sure did. Yeah, they did. Because the Hokies, oh, yes. Oh, that that was a beatdown of epic proportions. Yeah, no, that's a great story. I mean, just can you maybe just talk about, too, just what kind of person that Beamer is? Because we, uh, you know, we've talked to a few people and everybody's got positive stories, obviously, just and I think that kind of plays into the Fuente thing and having to replace a guy like Frank Beamer because he wasn't just any other guy. Like like you mentioned, when he walks into a room, like people stop and take notice and and welcome him into whatever they're doing. Do you have any like other Frank Beamer story that just kind of like stands out to you as being like, yeah, this guy's uh he's a little bit of a different coach. Well, just that day when when we were walking from Beamer's car over to the Jamerson Center, I never thought we'd get there because everybody kept stopping it. <laughs> yeah. Including sure. people including people driving up what is now called Beamer Way, they was they were stopping their cars in the middle of traffic to roll their windows down and say, Hey coach I mean it, 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 it's amazing and what I will always remember about Coach Beamer is in the face of just unspeakable tragedy after the campus shootings, that he really became kind of the the, the spokesman for the campus and what it, for all of Nikki Giovanni's passion and that wonderful we are Virginia Tech oh, that she wrote. I, I think all in all, I mean, Frank Beamer became kind of this voice and advocate and face of the healing process, and he embraced that because he is a hope. And that's how I will always remember him, not for, for all his on-the-field accomplishments, I think what he did in that horrific aftermath will stand for for generations. Yeah, both uh, both yeah. Tim and I were freshmen um, that year when that happened, and uh, yeah, just to think back on it, I mean, it seems like it was forever ago now, but at the same time, not not that long ago. But yeah, I'd agree that Frank Beamer became like an ambassador for the university on a, on a national yeah. scale because everybody was reaching out, just wanting to get stories. But Beamer was kind of the guiding light to, to put it lightly. And, you know, I remember opening up uh, football season, college game day, game day was there. We're playing East Carolina. It was a noon game, I think. And yeah, it was, it was probably one of the more intense, openings to a game I had ever remembered and probably the closest I've ever come to actually crying at a sporting event. Um, just because it was, it was just emotional. It was more than football that day. And, uh, yeah, just to have a guy like Beamer kind of lead the program through it was, um, was pretty incredible. So, um, so to end on a lighter note, well, actually one more, one more. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do that. Um, 
what are the odds that a team not named Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia win the Coastal this year? Oh, I think long indeed. You know, I've heard people say, oh, Duke could win or Pitt could win. I just I yeah. do not see it. Yeah, so what was now, what I, was with the votes in the, in the preseason poll? Because Georgia Tech got a yeah. vote. North Carolina got a vote. Like, who's... <laughs> Who's, Who's placing voting? that vote? <laughs> yeah, the, the the only thing I can imagine is, you know, those things are now done online, and it's kind of a of a slide ballot where you're you're, you're dragging a team's name over to a column and stacking them in a, in a certain order, and I wonder if if somebody just got a little sloppy. And because and, I always double check myself, because myself, because if you're not careful, you can get things out of your intended order. Right. I, I truly wonder if somebody mistakenly. I mean, you can't you can't be serious and and pick George Tech to win the coastal. It to but, me, it was just like I'm not going to vote for Greg Maddox's first ballot in the Hall of Fame because I'm just like <laughs> a stuck up baseball writer. That's what it felt like. Sure. Like, yeah. I, I'm not yeah, going to well, give, it, it, but it, it wasn't even like Clemson's in that division. You've got a number of teams that you could have picked, but Georgia Tech? Yeah. And yeah. Travis Etienne was the player of the year in the ACC last year, and he wasn't unanimous for preseason all ACC running back. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. So there's there's just no accounting for it. All right, so... Folks, there are some folks who vote who clearly shouldn't. <laughs> so uh, oh, something man. we do with all our guests is a little rapid fire. So I'm just going to ask oh, you a great. question. This is where I'll distinguish myself, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so first question, pretty obvious one. Thoughts on the name Chowder and Grits? for an ACC podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it, I think it's great. And you're right in my wife's wheelhouse. She is a serious Chowder and Chris mm-hmm. fan. <laughs> Perfect. And she, she would, uh, of the podcast. I gladly, assume you mean. <laughs> of the food. <laughs> She's about to become a fan of the podcast when she finds out her husband's on. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, we'll take that. So, best uh, best grits and chowder you've had in uh, in ACC country, or maybe it's outside. I don't know. And it can be a region; it doesn't have well, to be a specific place. The the chowder that Boston College serves in the press box house is pretty stout. That's funny. Andy Bitter said the one. exact same yeah, the second the exact one. same thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's a highlight. I'm not a big cream-based soup fan, but when I go to BC, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm bellying out. Sure, yeah, some chowder I'm, in October, little... November in the Northeast, I'm sure is great. Yeah, it's not going to be as good in the searing heat of uh, late <laughs> sure. August. Right. Well, hopefully they'll have the air conditioning cranked in the press box so <laughs> right. the, the, the chowder is, is a little more palatable. Sure, uh, sure. Oh, the, man. The, the best grits, I mean, there are some places down in the 757 now that we, we're not home to an ACC team where you can get some 
mean shrimp and grits. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. That's right in your wheelhouse. Uh, so true or false, Virginia Tech will field a thousand yard rusher this season. False. I was afraid you'd say that. Yeah, like I agree. I agree. Um, bold prediction time. Virginia ends their 15-game losing streak to Virginia Tech. True. <sighs> bold indeed. Okay. Uh, I, I picked. I picked them to win the coastal. So right. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily Virginia Tech, though. You know, who knows? Maybe that was a little bit of a. That could be that storyline you're looking for. Um, for let's see, the best coach in the ACC in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Bud Foster. Hey, I like that answer. I love that. Yeah, a little pivot. I didn't see that coming. Uh, The team in the ACC that's most likely to catch everyone by surprise. You already said it. Wake Forest. Yep, I agree. The only thing I'm worried about with the Wake is their defense, how that's going to hold up. Yeah. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's not like they were great defensively last year, no. and they have to have a dicey opener against Utah State. I mean, heck, they were 11-2 and two, uh, last season. Now, granted, they've, they've gone through a, a coaching transition, but uh, when you have not one but, but two capable quarterbacks like the Deacons have in Newman and Hartman, I think that's, that's, that's a nice place to start. Yeah, I really like Newman. I, I've said Newman that. Newman uh, great. Justin Fuente needs to pull Jamie Newman tape and show it to Quincy Patterson and say, this is how you should play football. I, <laughs> I think this. their two body types and styles are could be similar. I don't think we know what Quincy's is yet. Um, so we kind of alluded to this earlier, but I'm going to make you choose one. Best sporting event you ever covered. Hmm. Best I will say the 96 Olympics. Sure. Just in, just in total. Now, if you ask me the, the best, you know, the best game, it was, it was Duke, Kentucky. And that's, to me is, is, is the gold standard. Yeah. But, just the Olympic experience, guys, because you know I knew I was I wasn't going back to it. I wasn't going to go to Australia or Japan or France for the Olympics. This was going to be my one shot. Right. And I think I slept. I think I slept maybe three hours a night, and I just went to every event I could go, even if I wasn't writing about it. I went and saw, you know, Team Handball. I didn't know what the hell Team Handball was, but I was going to go watch it. Yeah. I went and watched table. <laughs> handball can actually beach, be kind of exciting. Beach, beach volleyball. I mean, all of it. I wanted to see every last second of it. And then you add on that the Olympic Park bombing and then the reopening of the park and the outpouring of 
commotion. I was there the morning they reopened the park, and I just happened to ask a, a bystander why they were there, and they said, well, because I was here the other night. In fact, I still have a piece of shrapnel in my neck from that bomb. Jeez. But I wanted to be here for the reopening. And wow. I was like, holy cow. Mm. And you know, it, it just, you know, that stuff that transcends sports. And that was a pretty powerful experience. Much like, you know, you alluded to the East Carolina football game. Right. The season after the shooting. The first on-campus sporting event at Virginia Tech after the shooting was a baseball game against Miami, mm-hmm. and I and I came out for it, and it was so moving because then Coach P. Hughes uh, took the team over to what was then a makeshift memorial in front of Burris Hall, and the players just walked very peacefully from over a castle and gathered at the memorial and each one of them placed a baseball next to one of the fallen names and it was so moving and so powerful and then to go watch them play baseball that night yeah they lost but that wasn't the story the story was the community coming together yeah uh, just an, an amazing experience yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so what would you say the best venue in the ACC to cover a football game would be? Death Valley. Death Valley. I was, I was just giving you a softball there, you know, Link Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Sure, uh, sure. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've, I've been there for some pretty ridiculous games. I was there for the Punrooski game. Oh yeah. When when, Bow, when when Bowden pulled that against Danny Ford, I've been there for some Clemson Georgia games, uh, some Clemson Florida State games. Yeah, I haven't been there. It's definitely on on my list of places to go. That's for sure. Um, what grade would you give Justin Fuente from an interview standpoint? Depends on when you get him. Yeah. In season, in season, weekly press conference, D plus. That's D is in David. Yeah, and, <laughs> those are pretty brutal. And, and, right. Yes, they are, and you know he freely admits it. That's just the way he is going to be during the season. Now, if the ACC kickoff or when I've gotten him one on one in the off season, he's great. Shows his personality. He's insightful. He's not telling you everything, but there's some there's some substance. But during the season, he's just he's not having it. And I assume that starts Friday with the uh, start of uh, summer camp. That's kind of when he goes into quiet mode. It seems like. Yeah. Um, most uh, most passionate fan base in the ACC. Most passionate football fan base. Sure. 
I'll tell you who's some some folks who will come at you now, and I've I've heard my share of it from Hokies faithful. FSU Twitter can be nasty now. Oh yeah. It oh can. man, it can. Oh. And and and, and, and also a, a little delusional too. <laughs> like uh, FSU seems to have a fan base similar to like a SEC school, like a A&M or a Tennessee, where. No matter what they do from a, on the field standpoint, they're the greatest football team Absolutely. in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's almost like they're entitled. I remember back when all the realignment rumors were out there, and folks were talking about FSU going to the Big Twelve or the SEC. One of uh, one of Florida State's boosters was complaining about the ACC TV package and the lack of revenue. And this is back when the, when the program was just kind of, eh. and I tweet, I retweeted the guy and went with a comment that said, how about you start beating Wake Forest? <laughs> then, 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 then we'll talk about, about the ACC TV and, and Florida State people went ballistic yeah oh i bet how dare bet. you say that about me um clemson will win their second consecutive national championship this year true or false true Ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm going chalk yeah yeah uh in your opinion virginia tech will one day win a national championship in football I don't. Oh, man. Yeah. Why? Mm. Tell me why. <laughs> I just is is just so hard. Yeah. And it's the odds are long on anybody doing it. And uh, what about what about basketball? Do you think there's do you think there's a better shot they win one in basketball than football? No. Okay. Truth hurts. Because of Jeez. <laughs> dude, dude, it's you, sobering. You gotta win. You gotta win six games. Yeah. To win a basketball national championship. Six in postseason in a row. Yeah, six emotional that's, taxing games. That's, that's really really hard um, you know if, if the playoff goes to eight teams I think that improved the Hokies chances you know Virginia Tech's I think one of just three maybe four power five schools that doesn't have an NCAA team national championship yeah and I think and, and I think the Hokies best chance would be in one of the men's tracks or wrestling. Yeah. That doesn't get me as excited. Um, last question. If I'm asking Twitter, what is your favorite team? Who What is my favorite team? If I'm if I'm That's talking to question. to Twitter. Right. Yeah. Who are you a fan of? Virginia fans will say Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech fans will say UVA. 
<laughs> Perfect. You're playing the game right. Well, I, I think no, you're, I, I think you're pretty fair. Me, that's how they roll. Oh, I'm sure. I, I believe you. You know, Virginia fans are convinced my house is built of hokey stone, <laughs> and Virginia Tech fans are convinced that that I wear khaki shorts and a blue and orange striped tie in the house when nobody's looking. <laughs> that's too good. That's Maybe too good. a bow tie with a fridge full of Zima. I mean, who knows? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So that's just, you know, when you've been when you've been doing it as long as I have, you just learned to smile at that stuff. And sure, but really, keep, keep it's on like, keeping on. Really, all you got to say is, "Well, I, I, I'm a JMU grad. Go Dukes." That's all you got to yeah, say. Yeah, well, well a, a lot of people will come. You must have gone to UVA, or you must have gone to Tech. I, I, I couldn't get into either school, so don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, but I'm not as smart as you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, David, thanks again for uh, for joining the show. This was a lot of fun. Uh, go check out David on Twitter. What is your Twitter handle? It's kind of awkward, uh, but it's what I did back when. They, they first got me on Twitter. It's David Deal ATDP. AT. Okay, wow. That is an awkward one. I don't think I've ever noticed that. Yeah, um, so go do that. Check out Daily Press. And then, you know, you've got a podcast too, don't you? I do. We kind of taken a summer hiatus, but the Teal Time podcast will be uh, back rolling uh, come preseason here. Awesome. So go check that out. David, thanks again for joining the show. And uh, good luck with those storylines this year. Thank you, David. I enjoyed it, guys. Thanks. Okay, so that was David Teal, journalist, reporter, sports connoisseur with the Daily Press. Uh, thanks a lot to uh, to David for coming on the show. We had a lot of fun with that interview, a lot of uh, great insight from him, somebody who's been around uh, the ACC and just sports in general for, for a long time. So uh, always great to get that perspective. But, Tim, anything that really uh, that really stood out to you? Yeah, I guess I'm a sucker for any sort of Frank Beamer talk. So getting to talk about uh, kind of some stories about Frank Beamer uh, and what he's meant and uh, what kind of guy he is, I always eat those up. Um, you know, and I could just listen to David talk forever. That guy is just a walking story machine at this point. Um, you can obviously see why he was inducted to the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame uh, based on all the amount of things that he's done and covered, but just especially his insights on the rivalry between UVA and Virginia Tech I thought were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so uh, I, I always enjoyed the rapid fire segment because <laughs> right. you get kind of a, a quick answer, but for, for Hokies fans out there, you know, it was it was rough to hear his take on the national championships. So um, sobering. You know, hold your head up. You know, it's uh, it's still possible. Maybe it's just not like super likely, but we'll get there. I wonder if we had asked somebody the same questions about Clemson about ten years ago, what the answer would have been. So it's always possible the tide turns uh, towards your way, but. Yeah, some of the stories around Beamer, the uh, the Bud Foster insights, oh, yeah. um, and then just kind of his his view on the ACC in general. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to be sure to ask him about the Virginia offense because you know I do see Virginia having a very strong defense this year, or at least what we think will be a good defense. Sure. 
Um, we'll see when they, they play some of the, you know, stronger teams on their schedule. But uh, offensively, you know, I've said this in the past, you know, they've got Bryce Perkins, but what do they have outside of Bryce Perkins? And, you know, David didn't seem like he was super high on really anything else on the offense, but um, we'll see how that kind of plays out this season. Right. And, and all fair criticisms. I think, uh, you know, I, I won't say that they were refuted either uh, by David. I think he kind of sees it the same way too. You, you, with Virginia, you have to hope for, for no injuries at your quarterback position and uh, really hope that some of that dynamic playmaking ability is, is given to uh, the team this year from somebody on the outside. So, We'll see. It, it was sobering to hear what he thought about Virginia Tech, but honestly, um, I'm as big of a Virginia Tech fan, obviously, as you'll see, being an alum. Uh, but I, I kind of land on that side. It, it does seem like an insurmountable task at this point. Um, but, you know, Virginia Tech's 20 years removed from a national title appearance. So um, who's to say that can't happen again? Yep, you just got to get the uh, – I think one of the challenges with Virginia Tech is they just never seem to have the – right defense and the right offense lineup at the exact same time good point and you know in 99 it happened and they came up a little bit short in 2006 it should have happened but then we had the the marcus vick situation and just caused a bunch of quarterback issues right or in 2005 or 2005 2006 really 2005 through 2007 that was as good a shot as any with the defense that we were fielding, but offensively we just could not field uh, a team that was a big enough threat. Right. Um, so that kind of plays back into we talked about Bud Foster's, um, you know, not really landing as a head coach anywhere, and you know, colleges want to see offense first. At the end of the day, I do think defense is what puts these teams over the edge and what really leads to national championships. But you still got to have a pretty legit offense to to get there and until Virginia Tech is able to line up both of those units which I think they can obviously it's going to be a little bit more challenging without Bud Foster around Blacksburg um, but you know there's other guys out there that can that can coach defense pretty well but it's uh it's definitely going to be something to watch uh around the Hokies program going forward absolutely yeah absolutely so that's our show for this week uh we are rapidly approaching kickoff to the ACC football season only really a couple weeks away so next week uh, we've got a little bit of Syracuse to talk about we're going to update you around uh, the ACC camps that are going on Uh, and then we have got an episode coming up later this month with Southern Pigskin we're going to break down the ACC and the SEC uh, with one of their writers and uh, then we're going to have somebody from BC on to kind of kick off week one of the the uh, ACC season talk about the Virginia Tech Boston College matchup so a lot of great things coming your way um, and just again for those that may be new here we're Chowder and Grits the podcast for ACC and Hokies football find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher and Google Play Store Tim why don't you uh, tell these people what they can do for us leave us reviews comments uh, interact with us on social media and share our posts linking us uh to the podcast and linking your friends to the podcast that way we can get our name out there to as many people as possible the more you do that the closer we are to our ultimate goal of having paul feinbaum on the show in an ultimate sparring match for the ages so uh, help us out help us attain our goal and hopefully in a year or two we will be talking to paul live on our air uh, and 
bashing the SEC relentlessly. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for everything that you guys do. And keep it up. Um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to growing this thing, not only this year, but next year and to many years to come. So appreciate what you do. Leave those reviews. Share those posts. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week.